Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Soccer Coach Weekly. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thanks for taking the time out to listen. In each episode, we speak to an expert guest from the coaching community as they pass on tips and advice to their peers. That's you. Uh, I've been catching up uh, with Carl Wilde, formerly the foundation phase lead in Manchester City's Girls RTC and now lead coach for the under-9s to under-14s at Chester FC. He's also been a coach tutor and his day job is program leader for the football coaching and management degree course at UCFB in Manchester. In addition, he's just published a book entitled The Intelligent Soccer Coach, Player-Centred Sessions to Develop Confident, Creative Players. Here's the best bits of my chat with Carl. Well, Carl, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, first of all, just uh, give us an outline then of your uh, your current roles and, and your kind of resume to date, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for having me on, first of all. Uh, so thanks for the invite. Um, so currently busy with a few roles. Um, my, my main full-time role is with UCFB, uh, where I'm the programme leader for the football coaching and management degree over at the SCI campus. Uh, so that mainly looks is looking after the program across all three years and then delivering on that as well. So we do some theory based stuff in in the lectures and then we, we try and put it and bring it to life out on the pitch for the students as well, which is really enjoyable. Uh, just then started another role uh, at Chester, uh, so I'm just heading up the junior section down there. Uh, so I'm just leading over all the junior age groups, uh, just supporting the coaches and trying to support the players in terms of their development. So I've just been there just over over six weeks uh, at the moment. Uh, just before that, I spent just over four years at uh, Manchester City, um, where I worked within the girls' programme, mainly with the younger groups. So I started off with the with the under-10s and did some work with the under-12s as well. And then for the last two years, I was the phase lead there for the foundation group. So again, looking after the younger groups, coached, as well, but then also supported the coaches and the players across there. And then for the last five, six years as well, I've been uh, an FA tutor. So delivered on the level one and level two programmes. Uh, obviously, some changes going on at the moment with the FA, so don't live on the level one uh, anymore with it going online and so forth. So it's just still uh, helping uh, learners get through the final stages of the existing level two. Uh, but obviously, again, that's been changed probably next year and it's moving on to a C licence. So We'll see how that goes. Um, and then previously, other roles include, I've been at other clubs uh, within the girls' game. I was at Stoke City and I was at Crewe uh, in coaching roles. And I've also been uh, in uh, Boys Academy set up with Wigan Athletics. I did a, a couple of seasons at Wigan as well. So it's fair to say then that, that your sort of uh, career can be broken into two streams, I guess. There's the youth development coaching and then the coach development um, that, that's your two kind of main areas of expertise. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, obviously, especially with the younger groups, I try and work mainly with the with the younger groups within the youth development phase as well. So, like the foundation phase, the, the youngies up until around right about the age of twelve. And then, yeah, last that's one of the reasons I moved over to Chester. So I was really keen to start developing my coach development role further. Uh, so, obviously, I've done a little bit of that with the FA and obviously in my lecturing role as well. Uh, but I wanted to get a little bit more on the pitch and help and support coaches on the pitch a little bit more and help them obviously pass that on to the players and how the players develop. So yeah, two two strands at the moment. We'll probably focus in this on on this uh, more on the, the the coach development side. But touching briefly on the youth coaching, 
how have you seen that change in the time that you've been doing it in terms of obviously there's been different focuses at different times, isn't there? And a bit of tinkering that goes on. Yeah, it's, it's also always evolving, which is which is what it should be doing, obviously. And we should always be looking at, at what we do in terms of how we support players and so forth. I'd say specifically in the last three, four years, there's there's been a lot more of a holistic approach in terms of the, the player development. So not necessarily just focusing on the technical and tactical side, but or uh, maybe the physical side as well, but the whole uh, person in terms of the psychological and, and the social well-being of them as well. So that's definitely been something that I've seen come into the game over the last few years and has obviously been a, a, a big positive in terms of supporting players. Um, and then obviously the physical side of it, I think it's just changed physically in terms of what we were looking for physically. I mean, there's a lot of aspects in terms of looking at maybe strength, height, that sort of physical capability, whereas the, the modern game is probably looking more in terms of speed and agility and balance and so forth. So I think that's been a real welcome uh, development over 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 the coaching of young children over the last few years. And then probably just, as most people are aware, just the type of practices that we put on now, very, very much more uh, player-centred, uh, very much more game-based in terms of putting them in situations and environments uh, which they're going to find themselves during a the game. So they get used to that type of situation. You see similar pictures uh, in a practice that they then go see in the games. So they recognise them and hopefully we've helped them develop the skills and the tools to, to then find the solutions and the answers to those problems that they come across in games. So I think they're the real changes over the last few years that, that I've probably seen. And in terms of that holistic approach, do you think we were in England lagging behind other countries in terms of treating players as people? Is that something which we've been a little bit late to? Um, possibly. I'll hold my hands up and say I haven't got that much expertise in terms of what happened in other countries. Um, but what I would say is that we were definitely behind in terms of where we are as in terms of, of coaches and a coach education programme that we didn't probably recognise it soon enough. Uh, that, that, that there's that need for that holistic approach and supporting players around all aspects of the game. Um, I think uh, probably huge amounts of pressures were put onto players and, and from, from all sides, not just coaches or parents, but even the players themselves probably put themselves under a lot of pressure to, to try and achieve within the game. And I think we needed to recognise that a little bit more. And I, I would also say that's just not football. I think sometimes we're a little bit critical of ourselves as well. I think I think we just sort of realised that it's maybe the social um, situation we were in at the time. Other sports were probably very, very similar. And just life in general was quite similar as well in terms of people didn't get that, that sort of uh, support that they need in day-to-day life around the mental side and the, and the psychological side of, of, of things. So, yeah, it was definitely... It was needed to be introduced. Uh, since it has been introduced, I think it has has uh, developed quickly. Uh, I think players are definitely getting support now that we need, and I think that's, that's nothing but a benefit to the game. Yeah, and I think you see that with the what you might call the new generation of coaches, don't you? People like Gareth Southgate who understand uh, that sort of hand, uh, the, the, like the, the developing the the person as a whole, and and getting tactile and understanding people's needs and meeting them because happy players will play well, I guess. Yeah, I think Garrison actually a, a very good example and probably the perfect example of, of what can be achieved by, by using that sort of approach. And I think when we look at young players as well, I think we've got to realise and understand that 
only a small proportion are actually going to go and make it within the game. And so therefore, as coaches, we've got other responsibilities. We're not just responsible to try and develop them in terms of their footballing capabilities and helping them achieve as much as they can on the footballing side. But there's obviously other aspects of life that we can support them with, um, especially within the professional game, the amount of contact time we have with them. We're probably the third most important people in terms of after family and schooling, we, we, we probably come next in terms of the impact that we have. So I think we've got a responsibility there as well to support them. So yes, football is, is what we're trying to aim to get them to, to have a career in or reach full potential in, but there's other things to life as well that we can definitely support them with. And I think, like I say, we've got that responsibility to support them on that side as well. And that's an interesting point actually you raised there about the fact that certainly in terms of contact time with youngsters, you, you know, outside of, home life and, and, and school, you, you are next on, on the list often with these things. Um, but where does a coach's line, where is a coach's line drawn in terms of that sort of pastoral care for, for, for players? How much do you need to know about what is going on in their personal lives, home lives, other activities they're involved in, you know, so you might want to regulate burnout, that sort of thing. How much do you need to know and how much do you need to then step back to make sure you're not too involved? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a probably a difficult one to, to, to answer in terms of a, a black and white scenario in terms of there's a set rule for everything. I would say, first of all, to the first part of the question, it's it's a really important thing to, to know what exactly they're doing in terms of, of outside of the contact time we have with them. Um, I, I use the example with, with coaches I work with in terms of usually the younger ones, especially most are talented footballers. But again, if you think back to school yourself, most of the talented footballers are also talented cross-country runners and talented rugby players and so forth. And because of that, there'll be a huge demand on them in terms of doing extra stuff. So schools will want them to go and do the cross-country on the Tuesday and then play maybe for them school themselves on a Wednesday, they then come to us on a Wednesday or Thursday that they could have something on every single day, first of all. So we need to be mindful of that in terms of our expectations, in terms of what they can do when they come into our environment. I, I think it's really important to support around those different aspects, first of all, again. They need to have variety in their lives. They can't just concentrate on being a footballer at a certain club from nine, ten years of age. They definitely need to go and experience different aspects of life. So I definitely encourage that. But physically, first of all, and, and psychologically, we need, to be, we need to be fully aware of that. And I think it also helps just knowing what's going on in school and that sort of relationships with school in terms of how they're getting on, in terms of how they fit in in terms of school and what, what kind of student they are. You can get that information off schools or off parents. Again, it just helps with the learning process. So they, they, they obviously, there might be certain things that they, they prefer to, to do in terms of their learning. So they might have some sort of uh, educational support needs. And again, if we're aware of that, then that can only help in terms of their development. Because obviously we can we can replicate what happens uh, on the pitch to what happens at school in terms of helping them develop. So there's that aspect, and then the social side as well, just what's happening at home in terms of parents and siblings and friends and so forth. Any any information is is quite valuable in terms of that. I think just then in terms of where we cross the line and so forth. I think usually most of that information doesn't have to necessarily come from the players. It can it can come from guardians or or, or uh, family or whoever it is. So. It, I think it's more getting get that information from there 
and then obviously we can then use that in terms of our relationship with that with that player, and we can we can understand what we like and what we don't like, and maybe how how we interact with them and so forth. And I think we can use it that way. So hopefully, if we get it right in terms of the preparation uh, with their support mechanisms, uh, then obviously we can get that relationship spot on on the pitch as well. So your day job, as you as you mentioned, is a, is about developing coaches of the future, and that's where your your role with you know you want to try and get more involved with. Chester on as well. Now, when England have been struggling, sort of the national team, and 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 uh, you know, it was pointed out some years ago that perhaps we didn't have enough coaches compared to other countries. Certainly not enough who are qualified at the highest level. UEFA Pro, UEFA A. Um, but I guess it is as much about quality than 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 quantity. Do you think we're getting the balance right now? Do you think we've got the the number of high quality coaches coming through? Uh, yeah, I, I think we definitely have. I think, again, it's a really, really good question. I, I'm a big believer in qualifications don't necessarily mean a great deal. Um, we, we, when I was just used with Chester Roll, for example, we, we, we were looking to to get a number of coaches in, in terms of supporting uh, the, the junior section there. And there was no, the only thing you had to have was a level one. Because I didn't want to say you got to have a, a level two or you got to be B licensed. It was about getting the right people in. I think that's massive in terms of just people who wanted to come in and, and work with, with the players and be part of an environment where where we're challenged on a weekly basis in terms of uh, if it's a session plan they put in, then we all have an input around the session plan in terms of whether it could be changed or developed or something like that, or join a session. If if I see something, they're quite happy for me to, to go and work with, with them and so forth. So I think getting the right people is, is really, really important. Um, but the qualifications do help. We're going putting the FA hat on. Uh, the, the old previous level one and level two just coming to end. I think have been fantastic uh, qualifications. So even if they go through the process of getting that education, which a lot of uh, coaches have been doing so in the last few years, I think that's that's a that's a massive help. And I think there's, you can. I'd like to think there's been a change in terms of the country in terms of how we now work with players and some of the examples I've seen. I, I think that there's definite evidence of that. And there's definitely like a, as I say, seen me role at uh, in terms of university. The number of students we get through the door each year is increasing, so you can see there's more of a more of a, a demand to, to start a career in, in terms of coaching. So again, hopefully, by getting more people through the door, it, the the increase in terms of quality will be there as well, not just quantity. So that there's definitely available resources for them that, that wasn't available when I started coaching. So in terms of the type of program that we're delivering, the type of courses that the, the CPD events that the FA and other people provide, there's definitely a lot more support mechanisms and that, that can only be a good thing. Mm, and that's obviously, uh, I guess, inspired by the changes that, that, that France and Germany made kind of late nineties, early two thousands with yeah, uh, Claire Fontaine and, and, and everything else. So um, yeah, you've got a, a book out, um, the intelligent soccer coach, um, subtitled player-centered sessions to develop confident creative players um tell us a bit about it and that you know what was kind of behind your 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 want to publish it yeah so it, it came basically after me spent my time as i say as an fa uh, educator and my time in terms of of a lecture i i found that some of the information i was, I was given was was being received well from coaches uh and they found it really beneficial so I wanted to produce a resource that, that could get a little bit uh, out there in terms of making it a little bit more wider, accessible for people if they wanted it. Um, 
And then I was just trying to get three main areas across in terms of the book, in terms of how I can support coaches. So it was all around understanding. I just wanted to get them to understand themselves a little bit more as a coach and what their role is as a coach. I wanted to get them to understand players a little bit more and their understanding around them actually being kids and children and, and what they actually need and how they develop. And then also just a little bit more understanding around the games. I feel people believe they know the game. It is quite a simplistic game in terms of its of, of its rules and how it's played and so forth. But just going a little bit deeper in terms of that invasion game sort of understanding in terms of direction, in terms of territory and so forth and the different principles within it. So it was those three things I really wanted to get across. And then the best way I thought of doing was, was to put practices in there, sort of put, use them as examples and really put the why behind why this is a practice that maybe we should use and not just give them the practice and, and say, off you go, there you go, use that one. It was, it was getting to understand the type of practice we should be doing and then hopefully from that they can start producing their own and just keep going back to the book as a, as a, as a resource and a little bit of help from time to time. Yeah, and I guess, again, it's like that, what we were discussing earlier about understanding the, the, the players as people, as you said, because and as kids, um, you know, because I think sometimes maybe is it fair to say that coaches don't necessarily when they're when they're in the thick of it all you know don't understand that players are more than just kind of markers and magnets on the tactics board yeah absolutely I, I always use the example I go back to education constantly as coaches we are basically teachers we're just teaching football rather than maths or English but when you look at that process of being a primary school teacher for example they'll go through four years of education of how actually to deal with children yet some coaches are basically given uh, a week's notice that they're starting a new grassroots team and, and they're expected to be able to go and deal with seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and so forth without, without any of this training. Um, so it, it, it's more than understandable that, that sometimes that they forget they are kids and, and what kids are like and how they like to learn and, and what we like to do. And it's, it's like I say, it's more than understandable. So that's, again, one of the reasons why I brought out the book to hopefully just give them some reminders and some maybe little light bulb moments thinking yeah do you know what I forgot that's what I was like when I was a kid that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid and that's how I behave when I was a kid so it was that type of information I wanted to to, to give to the coaches and hopefully that'll just give them small reminders and help them to, to, in their role as a coach uh, and helping them develop these players. So you've coached boys and girls you've coached in the foundation and, and youth development phases how easy or challenging is it to switch as a coach between genders and between age groups? Or if you're a coach who you're at a club and you see the team through from nines to 16s and they go into senior football, if you're then required to start again, you know, how, how tough is all that? Uh, it, is, it is very, very challenging. Uh, and the only way you're, 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 you're improving it is, is time on the pitch. And, and that, that's the, the best advice I can give anyone is to, to get out on the pitch and actually have a go at it. Um, I think usually even, even you know, look at genders or ages, even just going work with a different group, even if they're the same age and the same gender, can be a completely different experience for someone just because of the different personalities you have within that. And, you know, we've touched upon it uh, already about really getting to know what your players want uh, or what your players need and in terms of what support mechanisms you can, you can provide. I think the... Again, just a bit of knowledge around what we should be doing at different different ages definitely does help. I think sometimes we, we try and jump to the end product a little bit too early. So we try to get to that 11-a-side version of the game straight away. So quite often, if, if, for example, if you go maybe watch a, an under-7s, under-8s games, 
you will hear coaches maybe talking about pressing and, and trying to win the ball, ball back like like they would see on a Saturday or Sunday. And that's, again, completely understandable. But that process in terms of where, how to get there is a, is a very long process. And that's where you should be getting when they're 16, 17, 18 years of age, not, not as an eight-year-old. You go back to that school process again, it's like, it's like algebra. You wouldn't try and teach a seven-year-old algebra. You, you're given the basics in terms of how you to do uh, addition, subtraction, uh, multiplication to help them later on in life get to the more complicated math solutions. So it's the same thing with the, with the kids, given the basics that they need to start off with in terms of those fundamental skills and fundamental physical movements and fundamental uh, decision-making skills like when do they pass it and when do they keep hold of it simplistic things like that and then it's just a just being patient and just realizing we've got 10 12 15 years with them rather than trying to solve everything within, within a couple of weeks and of course just just finally we see from the outside if you like when we look at a professional's career we look at it fairly linear and you know and even if we play ourselves you know we we look at it linear as you've got a playing career and then you've got a coaching career um, if you want to do that. But of course, coaches are, are, you know, people are becoming coaches at different stages in their lives. They're becoming coaches at just, they are referees at, at 19, 20 or later on in life. When you're actually coaching, and this may apply more to the, to the teenagers, I suppose, when you're coaching teenagers, but are you, should you also keep in mind that you are teaching not just the players about playing, but you're also influencing them about coaching. In other words, do you need to leave them with a, like, a, like we all know about the good teachers we had at school. Do you need to leave them with a good impression that inspires them to get into coaching further down the line? Yeah. Um, I'll go back to my book of a May and, and like, within the introduction, I'll talk about probably the best thing you can have as a coach is if five, 10 years after, after finishing coaching a particular group, you meet one of the players and they cross the road and shake your hand and say hello and tell you what they've been up to. And then they tell you that they're still involved in football, whether it's officiating, coaching or whatever. That That is the best, probably, uh, final solution that can come to in terms of coaching. That's the best result that you can get because not many are actually going to be full-time professionals. So it, it's just getting that love of the game across to them. If, you, if they enjoy the game that much in terms of coming, so they love coming to training, they hate it when training's over. They love coming to a match day. They don't care what the result is. They just enjoy being there with their mates, playing the game of football. Then they will stay in the game. That, that's a definite. So what choices they then make in terms of what they go and do, whether it's officiating, coaching, managing, might even be physio, they, they will stay in the game. So that, that's the key bit for me. Maybe not trying to pin, look after too much and concern about coaching or what they might go and do but just getting that experience and that environment spot on so they just love coming and that's it if you can do that as a coach then that's your job done for me in terms of you, you you've done everything that you need to do and, and and that's that's the end result that you're going to try and get to just keep them in that game because at the end of the day if you don't enjoy enjoy the game of football they won't stay in it it's as simplistic as that so it is actually again talk about in the book about that massive responsibility that we don't pr- probably realize we have as a coach and how much of an impact we can have on these kids in terms of whether they stay playing football or not, or whether they go off and find another sport or just even stop physical activity altogether. We have a huge responsibility that we don't realise. Um, and sometimes we just need to, 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 to reflect on that and just think about what we're doing and making sure that we're having the right sort of impact on them, which is a positive one, obviously, in terms of rather than that negative one where they're not really enjoying it. <laughs> 
And just finally then, very, very finally, finally, is there one area of, you know, the coaching structure or whatever that, or how you want to influence coaches of the future towards, is there any one particular thing that you would like to see done differently, done more progressively, done, you know, more in a different style that, 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 that you're trying to get across to people at the moment? I think the, the, the key one for me is that planning part. We don't. I don't think maybe sometimes we take the planning part as seriously as, as as we need to. And in terms of when we look at it compared to the amount of time we take planning and the amount of time we actually deliver on on the practices. So there's a lot of emphasis for me at the moment in terms of when we look at a practice. So say we're just doing dribbling, um, we just look at the at the dribble, which is great because we should have a focus in terms of a session. But I think it needs to be more focused on the on the before and after it as well. So, for example, I, I always use that one v one practice where a defender plays a ball into an attacker, and the attacker tries to dribble past past the defender. So, I, I try to get coaches to understand how it would actually look like in a game. So, the defender wouldn't pass to an attacker in that situation, or in terms of those positioning, the defender would be tucked inside because that's where because they're trying to stay compact. The ball would probably come from this area from a teammate. So let's get him receiving in that way and then the defender approaching them in that way rather than the way that they usually traditionally approach. And then rather than stopping the ball on the line, we wouldn't do that in the game. So what happens if they do get over the line? It might just be a pass into a small goal or it might be a pass into another small goal but replicates across and so forth. So I'm really trying to emphasise to the people I work with at the moment about having that real thought process in terms of what it actually looks like within the game rather than just putting on a practice that, that that looks at that dribbling, we can we can probably go a little bit further with it. That was the voice of Carl Wilde, coach, coach tutor, and now author his book, The Intelligent Soccer Coach, Player-Centred Sessions to Develop Confident Creative Players, is available to buy online. Thanks for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I do hope you'll join us again next time.